So I don't have an outline for you guys to fill out because my computer, my new computer was giving me such problems I felt like giving it concussive maintenance. You do know what that is? That's hitting it with a hammer or throwing it against the wall. Concussive maintenance. I was very frustrated. So I wasn't able to make one. I barely got out what I had because I was performing. I was frustrated with it. So, I don't know how far we're going to get, but the subject is morality and biblical ethics. And this is a big subject, especially considering ethically all the dilemmas that we face in this country each day. But to start, before we get to ethics, let me give you the definition. Ethics is the implementation of our moral code or standard. So technically, before we can actually determine how we're going to act ethically in any given situation, we actually need to know what our moral standard is and what the basis of it is in the first place. So the basis for morality, there's a few different views as to what the basis for morality is. The first is... Social convention. That's what the people as a whole decide what it's going to be. You might, uh, one view of this might be that might makes right. That whoever is in charge is the one who's going to make the moral code or the standard. There used to be a code in medieval times, and I can't remember what it was called right now, um, where if it was actually illustrated in Braveheart, which I saw two decades ago, probably. But where if a commoner got married, the lord of that land got permission to um, I guess bless the marriage by sleeping with the wife before the husband did. And that was the moral standard. So it was his might makes it right that what he's doing was okay. Now, another social convention would be empathy. Because if we're nicer to people, then, you know, the morals are going to elevate. So we're not going to have bad morals. Because if I'm nice to you, you're going to be nice to me. Everybody's morals are going to be lifted up. Uh, but the problem with empathy is uh, it's subjective. It could be my view of empathy. It could be based on my experience, because less is empathy towards someone could be different than mine. Um, you'd have to determine, <laughs> you'd have to determine. If there's a universal standard for it or not. And if not, then how do you know empathy is the right standard to begin with? And you have to determine, is it my empathy? Is it a collective empathy for all of us? Is it everybody in the government whose standard we abide by? But either way, social convention is not really the way we want to base moral standard because it's subjective. And if it's subjective, it's based on our whoever whoever's opinion. Now, the next one is evolution. evolution is evolution the basis for morality? 
um, the argument basically says this, that it's genetically based, that it's encoded in our genes. And so what they reason is that if someone behaves in a certain way that aids in their survival, um, they're going to pass their genes on, and so that whatever aids in their survival is morally correct. So an example would be if someone murders someone, and if we follow Hammurabi's code, uh, that punishment is death. And so his genetic information would not be passed on. So the survivability of this immoral trait would basically be killed off in the gene pool. And so you'd only have people who were good passing it on. Now, aside from the fact that the Bible says we're all bad and wicked to begin with, this is people who aren't accepting that. But they couldn't pass on that trait to future generations. And the same would be said for other, other crimes, whether it's thievery or lying or whatever. So if those people were caught, the, whatever the punishment was, which may be death in some cases, um, those genes would not be passed on. Now, the problem with this view is that it's the same with the first one. There's nothing inherently right or wrong. It's all based on someone's opinion. So there's only what helps me survive or what helps that other person not survive, which is the immoral stuff. And so more, if morality is what's based on your surviving, that's, what's based, that's what they're saying is good. Now, the issues with it are, let's suppose we take thievery. If there's a thief with higher intelligence, which results in him not getting caught or punished, the basis of this argument would say that because of his survival, his thievery was morally acceptable. See, it's subjective. Okay, well, it helped his thievery, because he was more intelligent, helped him survive. That way it's morally correct. And this is a, this is a humanistic argument. All these, these first couple ones are all humanistic. And it's, they come about because they're looking to justify ways to get God out of the picture. Because... In essence, everybody believes in objective moral values. Everybody does because everybody argues for them. Um, in fact, later on in my paper, uh, objective moral values is the basis for justice and injustice. No one's going to argue for objective moral values, or everyone will argue for their objective moral values when they go to court. They have some sense of right and wrong. But the same could be said in this humanistic, uh, genetic-based ethic or moral that rape would also be morally acceptable because even though it's reprehensible in every society I've ever read about, because it could produce possible offspring, it basically is the survival of the species. Therefore, because it's the survival of the species, it's morally correct. And that would be another argument. But everybody here would say, well, that's not right. That's wrong. So that's morally unacceptable. But this is the flaw in their argument. So from the viewpoint of genetics, actions really uh, from the viewpoint of genetics, actions can be neither good nor bad, but neutral. They're just actions. But we know that's not correct. Now, there is another theory and I don't agree with this one either. It's called divine command theory. 
and I'm not an expert on it, so I'll just give you the basic of it, which is the position that we take is on an action is either good or bad based on whether or not it's commanded by God. Therefore, to do what God, therefore, to do what is good is to do what God commands. Now, this on the surface doesn't look that bad, but an atheist or a humanist would look at the Bible and say, well, God commanded the genocide of the Amalekites. Well, God commanded the genocide of whatever other nations Israel fought in Canaan or other places. And so, well, if God was able to do that to them, or God said we can go ahead and kill witches, so why don't we go to England and take all the Wiccans and kill them? And so that would be the divine command theory, uh, their idea behind it. And so they're basically saying, well, God is kind of arbitrary in what he does. He doesn't really have a reason for it. But we all understand that God did those things for a reason, that God held off on destroying the Canaanites for 400 years, even an opportunity to, do, to repent. Um, same with the Amalekites and all these other nations he destroys. It's always out of a righteous judgment, not out of an arbitrary, oh, you know what, I don't really like them anymore, so I'm just going to have Israel wipe them out. And so they view God's commands as arbitrary. But in reality, our moral standard is based on God's character, and it's his objective character. And so if we believe that there is an absolute moral law, we have to believe that there is an absolute moral lawgiver. It's implied. And so there's two questions about objective morals. One is, what would, we, what would be an objective moral? Or what is an objective moral? And a moral truth, it would be a moral truth that is not based on a person's subjective experience, which would ap apply to all people not just and not change with the circumstances. So to say there are objective moral values is to say that something is good or bad no matter what someone thinks about it. Now, an example of an objective moral. One is... It is always wrong for anyone to torture babies to death merely for their personal pleasure. It's an objective moral. I don't know anybody who believes, except for maybe Dr. Mengele and the Nazis, that torturing babies is a morally acceptable thing to do. And Mengele was a depraved human. Um, but by and large, the population as a whole believes that that's wrong. And the reason they get, aw get away with abortion is because they simply deny that it's a baby in the first place, even though fetus is Latin for baby. Subjective morals. A moral that is based on opinion and does not apply universally. An example for this might be one person may have a problem with drinking alcoholic beverages while another may not. That would be subjective. There are some, and, and I can base this not on Christian, not on the Bible, but on just non-Christians. There are people I know who, um, I used to work with someone. He didn't drink. I asked him why he didn't drink, because he definitely wasn't a Christian. He said, I don't like to drink. It brings out the evil in you. So he had this idea, this concept, that it was wrong for him to do. He may not object to other people doing it, but he definitely wasn't going to do it. So in his subjective opinion, it was morally wrong for him to drink, because he didn't want to bring out the evil in him. So that would be an example. Now, there's several reasons that we know the moral law exists. I believe I have seven or eight of them written down. One is, it's practically undeniable. And that seems, seems subjective. But every person who denies values, 
every person, values their right to deny values in the first place. That sounds confusing, but that's... If, if someone came up to me, like let's say someone in the audience afterward, or even now raised their hand and said, I don't believe there's any objective moral values and duties. And I said, shut up, you idiot. No one cares what you think. They'd immediately object that they had violated their right to begin with. And so they would basically be proving the point. They, uh, they believe the moral values exist, and I violated it by saying that. Now, we know moral law exists by our reactions. And if you want a moral... A moral, rel moral relativist is someone who believes they're subjective. They go back and forth. It's relative to the situation. So if you want a moral relativist to realize there are absolute morals, you just treat them unfairly. Now, there was a college professor who asked his students to make or to write an ethical paper and to give valid reasons and a conclusion to the paper. Everybody in the class turned one in, one student, gave reasons as to why um, ethical uh, moral values and duties don't exist. And he said, you know, it's different for you than it is for me. I like chocolate, you like vanilla. I believe that sex outside of marriage is wrong. You don't believe that it's wrong. And the teacher got the folder. He graded everybody's folder. And he put on the paper F. I don't like the color blue because the folder he turned it in was blue. The student immediately went in and said, I did exactly what you asked. And he said, well, I, I believe exactly what your paper said. And you know what? I don't like the color blue, so you get an F. And he immediately, the student immediately saw the, the error of his paper. Because he went, okay, well, I really do believe that because I believe that I was treated unjustly because my folder was blue. And so... Anyone's reaction, uh, again, just treat them unfairly and they're going to realize it. Now, another example would be uh, the Twin Towers. I'm sure, with the exception of my children in here, everybody here remembers when that happened. Um, I remember when it happened. Everybody remembers their reaction. Jen and I were in the college group at Horizon at the time. And it, the day it happened, we went to the prayer meeting at night at Horizon. And everybody was like, we're going to join the military. We're going to go beat the garbage out of those people. I can't believe they would do this to us. And everybody's reaction was what they did was wrong. It was unjust. And it wasn't just the Christians who felt that way. Unchristians felt that way. Thousands flocked to churches going, why did this happen? Everybody knew it was unjust. So simply by things of those nature that happen, when uh, Oklahoma City... Uh, Timothy McVeigh bombed the building. Why did that happen? Everybody was opposed to that. All these things that happen, especially, you know, the, it baffles me that people could even believe in it with the as much terror things that happen right now. Benghazi, when that happened. There's so many things that happened. For someone to say it's there's moral relativism, when so many people object to those things that are happening is baffling. But uh, their reactions show that they believe moral law exists. Uh, the moral law is the basis of human rights. When the 13 colonies seceded from Britain and they wrote the Declaration of Independence, and Thomas Jefferson, who was a deist, I believe, he said, and again, I can't quote the whole preamble clearly, we hold these truths to be self-evident 
that all men are created equal. He said it wasn't some hidden thing. He didn't start the declaration with, it is our opinion versus that of King George that we should be free of these taxes of, of tea or whatever it was. But they're self-evident. They're evident in nature that there's a moral law, that there's, a, there's something that's wrong. There's a violation of human rights here, and they recognized it, the, the founding fathers. We could say the same thing after World War II. When there were the Nuremberg trials, everybody said, okay, this was a violation of human rights. When Eisenhower walked into, I can't remember if he walked into Auschwitz or one of the other ones, but he walked in there and he was appalled. And he made some of the surrounding villages come and walk through and say, look what you allowed. Because they basically all turned a blind eye. They didn't want to see it. They knew it was happening, but they didn't want to believe it. So he made them walk through. And so they were all tried, and, or a lot of the people were tried for war crimes. And so they knew it was uh, back then. And we even try people for crimes against humanity now. So we can't legitimately try someone for crimes against humanity if we don't believe there's an objective moral law to begin with. And, you know, you know people tried the Nazis for war crimes. And Japan was even worse. And I know we tried them for war crimes. I think it was uh, Tojo who was the... Prime Minister of Japan. He was tried for war crimes, but I think he committed suicide before he got actually tried. The next reason is it is the unchanging standard of justice. C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist, became a Christian because he realized that how could he possibly know that something was wrong unless he knew what something was right to begin with? Um, and his issue with God was, or the concept of God, was that God was, how could God allow all the evil in the world? And that's such a common argument. Um, but his, I can't remember which book he wrote it in. It may have been mere Christianity, I'm not sure. But he, one of his lines was, how can a man call something crooked unless he knew what straight was to begin with? So there was, some un, there was an unchanging standard of justice that he recognized, and that's basically one of the things that brought him to Christianity. Uh, we also know the moral law exists because it defines the real difference in moral opinions. We all know the difference between Mother Teresa and Hitler. Again, the, the Nazis are an easy target for the moral law uh, because I, don't, I haven't met anybody who thought that what they did was right other than the Muslims, who are obviously also morally corrupt, or the, the terrorist ones. Um, we know that murder is evil. We know that racism is wrong. We know you shouldn't abuse children. And if you didn't believe in a moral law, you couldn't say, all you could say was that it's just like, I like chocolate and you like vanilla. So if we don't believe in there is a moral law, we couldn't tell the difference between Mother Teresa and Hitler. Next one is, since we know it's absolutely wrong, there must be an absolute standard of rightness. I can't think of any... Some of these are, seem very obvious, and you don't think about them until you hear them or you read them. Because we look at surface arguments so much, or at least, you know, the general populace does. But when I've talked to 
different people at work before, and I brought up the Nazis and Hitler, and you know, how can you know something's absolutely wrong? And I've brought up, and I bring up extreme circumstances because if you bring up a, something that's light, people go, oh yeah, well that's that may be true for that, but it's not really true. So I talked to one person at work. I said, what if somebody came and murdered your wife? Would you find that objectionably morally wrong? Oh, absolutely. But you don't believe there's a changing moral or a unchanging standard of morality or justice? And he said no. But he felt that was wrong. And so we know it's absolutely wrong. So there has to be an absolute standard of rightness. Now, the next one is the moral law is grounds for political and social dissent. And again, you can go back to the Declaration of Independence. They knew what was wrong, and they, they seceded from Britain. Um, and I'm not justifying slavery or the Civil War or certain things. There, the way history has been rewritten now, you'd think it was all about slavery, and it wasn't. One of the main, because only 7% of the South actually owned slaves. The rest of them didn't. Um, and again, I'm not trying to be little Abraham Lincoln either, but when he did the, what was that thing called? Yes, that thing. <laughs> that thing I should know that I learned in school. Uh, when he did that, it made it all about slaves and made it the focus for helping the North win the war. But one of the main things was the North was trying to control the cotton in the South. And the South said, no, you don't get control over it. This is, this is our, um, our business, our economy, and the North was trying to control it. And that was one of the reasons that they succeed, this seceded. And so they felt, the South felt their rights were being violated. Now, were they violating some of the, Southern, the slaves' rights? Yeah, they were. Some of them were. Not all of them were because slaves were expensive. And again, I'm not justifying slavery in any sense. But slaves were expensive. So you didn't brutalize and kill your slaves because they were your livelihood. Now, did it happen? Of course it happened. There's evidence that it happened. But that wasn't the overall standard for the South. It was for some people um, because the human heart is wicked. And there are people who claim to be Christians who are not Christians. Uh, the KKK is obviously wrong. Um, but again, we have a small percentage of the population who seems to be able to dictate you know, larger, um, larger government intervention type things and laws. But it's ground, grounds for moral and political dissent. If there were no moral law, then there would be nothing wrong with, me for, with us forcing our religion on people. If there were more, no moral law, there would be nothing wrong with us um, bashing people who didn't believe what we believed or... Um, gay bashing or uh, there'd be nothing wrong with racism. We could, we could justify anything if there were no moral law. And the last one is if there were no moral law, we wouldn't be making excuses for violating it. Why would Clinton have to make excuses for Monica Lewinsky if there were really nothing wrong with what he did in the first place? And there are so many politicians who try to backtrack and justify their actions. Well, if there's no moral law, why are you trying to do that to begin with? And they would, there would be humanists and atheists who would say, well, it's just not good social etiquette to do that, and that's why they shouldn't have done it. But that's not really a justification, because it's just opinion if that's the case. 
but everybody knows they're doing something. Clinton knew he was doing something wrong. And so does every other politician, and not just politicians, every one of us, when we do something wrong, of course we try to hide it. It's our natural instinct because we knew what was wrong. That's why God says he's bringing everything to light. No one's going to be able to hide everything because even if no one else saw my sin, God saw it. So... So, Christian, what is Christian ethics? So I, I got a definition from Wikipedia because I wanted a non-Christian viewpoint. Christian ethics is a branch of Christian theology that defines virtuous behavior and wrong behavior from a Christian perspective. Systematic theological study of Christian ethics is called moral theology. So... Actually, they didn't say anything wrong that I could that I saw in the article. I just briefly glanced at it, but they're usually—I don't want to say they're—they're they're really good at everything they post because they're not, but because everybody's allowed to edit things if they feel like it, except for the Church of Scientology, which is forbidden now because they kept trying to change themselves to make themselves look better. But everybody else is allowed to make edits, for the most part. But what they had to say with the definition seemed okay from what I could tell. Now, a scientific definition of ethics would be a set of, and I got this from a Christian website, a set of moral principles or the study of morality. And it says, therefore, Christian ethics would be the principles derived from the Christian faith by which we act. So the Bible gives us the principles and standards to conduct our lives ethically. And uh, when I went to the School of Evangelism, one of the guys I went with, he had a white Toyota 4x4 for off-roading, but he would always write these Christian phrases on the back. And for the Bible, he put basic instructions before leaving earth, and he wrote that. And so that's a good acronym because it is. God doesn't give us every answer we need. The Bible doesn't answer every ethical dilemma directly, but it gives us the basic principles that we need to direct our decisions toward the right one. And so basic instructions before leaving earth is a good acronym for that. Now questions to ask ourselves when looking at an ethical dilemma. Is the Bible all I really need to answer ethical questions? I believe the answer is yes. And I will give you a verse for that. Second Peter 1, 3. As soon as I can turn there. 2 Peter 1.3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue. So I believe he has given us everything we need in the Bible to answer any ethical dilemma that's going to come up. And again, like I said, it doesn't cover every dilemma, but the core principles that it does teach should be enough to bring us 
to a biblical decision. And this is where the Christian ethics come in. Uh, script, like I said, Scripture is not always specific. Is there a guiding principle I can follow? And there is several verses. Let me, 1 Corinthians 10, 23 to 31. It says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but all things do not edify or lift up. This is New King James. I'm sorry if everybody has something different. Uh, Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for the conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Conscious, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. The whole purpose is, in this specific case, you could say an ethical dilemma for drinking. Is it ethical for me to drink? Does the Bible say I can't drink? It does not. It does say I can't stumble my brother. And that's basically what this is doing. If you're going to stumble somebody, then you don't do it publicly. You may be able to do something privately, but you can't do it in such a way where you're going to stumble somebody. I personally don't drink now, obviously because I'm an elder. I'm not permitted to anyway. Uh, Even before I was, I didn't drink a lot simply for the purpose purpose of I didn't want to stumble anybody and when I did it was I, I don't really like the taste of alcohol per se there were a few things I did like the taste of but again I would like milk on Mike's hard lemonade for hours I like the taste but and again it might be in front of my sister or my family at home but never in public um, because I don't want to stumble somebody so the guiding principle in some cases is am I going to stumble my brother Or, even if someone's not a Christian, am I going to stumble them by thinking, oh, well, he's doing just what the world does, so why is he any different than me? So there's different things in the background. Do I have the freedom to do it? I absolutely do. But I choose not to. And the same goes for everybody here. You have the freedom, and you get to choose how you exercise that freedom. That is a good example. 
Of course, we have a chef here. I can't say anything about the chef. <laughs> um, 1 Corinthians 6.12. Basically says the same thing. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. 1 Corinthians 8.7-13. 1 Corinthians 8.7-13. Mm-hmm. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge for some. With the consciousness of the idol until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Of course, they're talking about meat offered to idols. And again, this is the same principle that we just read in ten twenty-three to 31. And it's, you know, is my liberty going to be used to make my brother stumble? Um, I believe Christian ethics can best or is well summarized by Colossians 3, 1 to 6. Which does say, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual morality impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So we set our mind on Christ above, and his word is our guiding light, obviously. And then it says the things we avoid. So if we're trying to make an ethical dilemma, or make one, solve an ethical dilemma, we compare to... Is this something that lines up with what God says? Is this something that lines up with the acts of the flesh? And the same thing with the fruits of the Spirit and the acts of the flesh in Galatians 5. You can compare and make decisions based on what you think, uh, where you think the decision uh, should fall. So the works of the flesh. Does the dilemma we face have the following characteristics? which the works of the flesh are evident, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, which is essentially a license to sin, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Or does it match the fruit of the Spirit? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So we match it against those. Now I have... Elias, come up here. Nope, not all the way up. <laughs> Hand those out. 
to them. Thank you. Hand them out. So I was looking up, I was Googling uh, common ethical dilemmas that face Christians. And these are some of them. There were, there were a lot more. And from major to minor, there's a lot of them. But there was, obviously the number one that tops the list is abortion. There's euthanasia. There's assisted suicide. There's drugs, intoxication or sobriety. There's alcohol, to drink or not to drink, to be drunk or not to be drunk, which we just talked about. There's gambling. Is it moral or immoral? There's homosexuality. Is it a legitimate lifestyle or is it immorality? Sexual immorality in general. Uh, Can couples who are not married live together? What about dogfighting or cockfighting? Can I go to a casino and eat but not gamble? Capital punishment, medical marijuana, cloning and stem cell research. Slavery. Slavery still happens. We know that because we have less to show us the way. I didn't know anything about it until he even talked about it. So, um, uh, status of women. What's a woman's role in society? Uh, transgen- transgender or identifying. Uh, and then there's a philosophical question that people bring up. If God tortures people for eternity, what does that say about his morality? And these are just some of the questions. There's so many more. Um, But where is it? Number 10. What about dogfighting or cockfighting? How would you answer that one morally? Hmm? Shame. I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying... (laughs) I'm just saying, if you were to use, what Bible verse would you use? What, what moral standard from the Bible would you use to shame it? Because, again, I don't disagree with you. But if there was a verse, and I think there's at least two that come to mind, and I didn't look anything else up but these two. If you go to Proverbs. Well, I'm probably going to get it wrong now. Proverbs 12, I think it is. It is 12. Proverbs 12, 10. It says, A righteous man regards the life of his animal. But the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Does someone, does someone read NIV for me? I didn't look up NIV. The so, whenever I think of that ethical dilemma, that verse always comes to mind. You could also go back to Genesis when God first created everything. And man was to have dominion over the creatures. Man was supposed to take care of them. Obviously, we're not doing that with those things that are happening. And I think, I mean, they, they have other things too. It's not just those two, but there's all sorts of animal fights that people have because it's entertaining for them. I know that in India, I think, is it India? Someplace in Asia, they'll get lions and tigers together and have them fight. Or they'll get other different cats together and have them fight. They'll get a bear in with a, a tiger, different things. They, people like to see animals fight to see who would win. But 
this would be one way or a couple of verses to combat that ethically for Christians. And there's no, this is black and white. I don't see any ethical way for a Christian to support that action. What about gambling? Can we... Uh, that would work. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> Again, these are just dilemmas. I'm. I don't. I'm. I didn't get an answer for all of these because I didn't have time to look them all up. But I. In my opinion, from someone who's eaten at a casino and gambled. Again, not often. In fact, I can't remember the last time I was at one. Um, But I wouldn't want to stumble somebody who had a problem with gambling. It would be the same same, uh, principle with the drinking. Um, Because, you know, some people just can't... Some people are addicted to drinking. Some people are addicted to gambling. And I wouldn't want to stumble them in that way. Have I... Played slot machines? Yes. Um, in fact, that's really the only thing I do when I've ever gone. And I think I've probably gone four times, and I think I'm 20 bucks up. Uh, but that's rare. I mean, really, if, I mean, there would be nothing wrong with eating at the buffet, but, would you, but someone who had a gambling problem, you would not invite them to go with you. I wouldn't, and I, but I wouldn't want them to, like... The last time my wife and I even went to Vegas was before Mariah was born. It was, what was it, August, I think. We went for our, actually, we went in August the, before Mariah was born because she had actually won something, so we got to stay there for free. And so we went, and we got to stay there, and so... Before I had left, someone who I worked with said, oh, you've got to go to the Rio. They have an all-you-can-eat buffet that's the best you can eat anywhere. So we're like, okay, well, we'll go. Um, but I would say it's still difficult even with that because they can. St- I'm still going to walk into the same hotel casino where the buffet is. So they don't know that's what I'm doing unless they're following me in there. So it'd be the same principle. I mean, I suppose you could gamble on your computer privately if you don't have an issue with it, just like you could drink as long as no one you're not going to stumble. But I don't know. It just seems frivolous to begin with. Isn't that the word you used? Or no, you said fantasies. Mine says frivolity. But, you know, I'm sure that I would avoid someplace that's really good. I mean, I've seen... Uh, those commercials for Barona and Saquon and they have like all you can eat lobster or whatever for a really good deal and I'm like oh that would be cool but I don't want to be seen there and so that's you know we've never I, we even we keep getting things in the mail too you know you can get a free uh, such and like you can here's a free $50 to spend 
and the all-you-can-eat buffet is $5 or whatever it is. They keep sending us that stuff in the mail, and I keep going, this would be cool. Yes? could find a reason why none of us should ever work at any company ever made again unless it was Christian. But it's, I can go to a restaurant that serves alcohol, but if someone came up at the table and saw me in there, they wouldn't see me eating at the bar. They'd see me eating at a table and they'd notice that I had a root beer and not a Budweiser. But if they don't follow me in, all they see is me walking in a casino and they say, and I say, well, I was just eating. Oh yeah, sure. You were just eating. I'm not, again, I'm not saying you can't. I'm saying I don't want to use my liberty to stumble someone else. Now McDonald's, I can't think of any fast food restaurant you could really go to legitimately and say, this is healthy. So, and if someone's got an eating disorder, it doesn't really matter what restaurant you walk into. They're going to be lack of control regardless. Huh? I don't like Chipotle. They're expensive and they had E. coli. I didn't like them before that, so I thought they were a ripoff. I like hole-in-the-wall Mexican food, but that's just me. Um... What about cloning and stem cell research? Is it morally wrong to clone somebody or to, to clone something? Why would it be wrong? Or stem cell research? Let's start with stem cell research since that's where cloning begins. What about stem cell research? Would that be wrong? Steve. Are you sure about that? How many types of stem cells are there? There's two types. There's fetal stem cells and there's adult stem cells. I am not opposed to stem cell research when it comes to adult stem cell research. I am opposed to fetal stem cell research because obviously it comes from aborted babies. Adult stem cells are found in several places in the human body. And what can happen with those stem cells is they can become any cell they want to be. Now, when we're children, or my children, they have deciduous teeth, or what we call baby teeth. And those baby teeth are adult stem cells. And those stem cells, they've grown in petri dishes to become several different types of organs. They have that ability. Now, we have actually uh, found cures for, I want to say it's 70 plus diseases 
studying adult stem cells that has nothing to do with aborting babies. We've come up with zero cures studying fetal stem cell research. And you don't hear that because the media alters it. So when they, so when they have people present stem cell research to sorry, Congress, USA Today, and I forget which other newspaper it was, edited the content of what was actually said, making it look like they were supporting fetal stem cell research, and they weren't. Because this one boy presented himself to Congress saying stem cell research helped me uh, to live because he took his brother's stem cells because they were genetically similar, and that helped cure him of whatever disease he has. I don't remember what it was right now. But they were making a case for adult stem cell research. Well, USA Today twisted that, and they made it a case for fetal stem cell research. Yeah, big shocker. But so stem cell research, I'm opposed to fetal, not adult. And again, adult stem cell research, and I have a video at home by a guy named Mike Riddle actually talks about cloning and stem cell research, and he has a lot of great information if you want to borrow the video. It's like 10 years old now, probably, but it's still applicable. Uh, everything in it is. But uh, he talks about the differences, and he actually explains the case as well. Um, and, you know, when the media alters it like that, it makes us as Christians look like we're really, you know, belligerents when it comes to science, when it's really not us being belligerent, it's them being dishonest. Because we're, I, I'm completely in support of science. Science supports the, you know, belief in God. Evolution, which is a faith, it's not, because it's not really science. But science points to God. So scientific research with adult stem cells, and so many other things. Even Isaac Newton was a Christian, and he, and I can't, I don't want to, I'm going to completely destroy his quote. But he began studying or was interested in studying science because he wanted to understand how the creator made things work, which is a great reason to study science. But that's not why they study science today. They study science to prove that God doesn't exist, not to show why he did and what he created. Cloning. For or against? Okay. I mean, that's my gut reaction. I'm not, I'm actually agreeing with you. I just wanted to give you a silence to freak you out. But. I mean, it looks with just the genetic changes they're making to fruits and vegetables and things. You don't really know what the outcome is going to be. I mean, because the way things change. GMOs. Um, there has never been a legitimate clone. Now, I remember when Dolly first came out. I think I was in junior high when, when they first talked about Dolly in Ireland or wherever it was. But Dolly died a painful, horrible death. And they never told you to tell you that. But every clone that's ever been created has died a horrible death, a painful death because they're taking 
an aged cell and putting it in a egg. And so that animal is aging or is not aging normally. And the cell is mutated to some extent. So actually the cell is degraded. So it looked legitimate. Like, look, we've done cloning. What can we do now? But they haven't had any successful trials. Now, obviously, human cloning is illegal. But I think people are doing it. I couldn't tell you where. But I'm sure there's people doing it. If Dr. Mengele could get away with what he did, I'm sure there's other people doing it now because some people's medical ethics are non-existent. But I'm sure it's happening. Now, it doesn't mean the subject in movies isn't interesting to watch. I remember watching The Sixth Day. It's a very entertaining movie. It's very wrong scientifically, but very entertaining. But again, uh, huh? Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. You know, I love Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's in my top five favorite movies. And, you know, if they could clone that stuff and make it real, I would be more than happy to have a raptor as a pet. But, uh, I like that stuff as far as Jurassic Park goes. I don't, again, I don't believe in cloning because, again, there's no legitimate way to make it not horrible for the animal. And you can go back to Proverbs 12.10. Are you really regarding the life of your animal? You're not because you're putting it in pain. And you're... Yes, Mariah? What? No, that's why I have you guys. Yeah. Let's see. Status of women has been, and I say this more with the, I'll use a Rush Limbaugh term, extremely militant people. Um, I think women are more than capable of doing anything God wants them to do. They're certainly more gifted in certain areas. And I think each man was created for one role. Women was created for a role. Technically, uh, man is the head of woman and Christ is the head of man. That doesn't mean, you know, managerially speaking, I think some of the better managers that I've had have always been women. I think a lot of times they manage things better. Um, that doesn't mean to say I've had bad man, male men. I'm a manager, and I don't think I'm a bad manager. Um, but women are equally capable uh, intellectually. Yes, Christian. What? <laughs> um. And the only, I can't remember if I said this here or somewhere else, but the only difference between men and women is women have their intellectualness mixed with their emotions, which is a pro and a con, depending on the situation. Uh, I've had people say, I wouldn't want a woman president because you never know if we're going to get into a nuclear war. Uh, uh, and I didn't say that. Someone I know did. But... It's, it's a joke based on stereotypes, but no other religion in history has elevated the status of women more than Christianity does and has. And so 
I think the cases in history where they were oppressed were wrong. Do I believe... Let's see. The way it works in my house is my wife and I wanted to, one of us to work. And we determined it was going to be her because we knew she was going to be pregnant a lot. And she was. And she probably will be in the future. Um, and it was just better to have one of us home because she can manage the house. And I will manage at work. And that's not to say she doesn't work because she goes outside of managing the house and does work on top of that to bring an extra income. So it really depends on the home dynamics of how the husband and wife want to do it. If both of them want to work, that's fine. As long as they've been, they've prayed together and they've sought God's direction, it really doesn't matter as long as God is the guiding principle in their home. And my home, that's just how we do it. Now, I am someone who comes from a very politically incorrect family. And when I am at my parents' house, we are brutal with stereotypes. And that's about as much as I'm going to say about it. And if you saw me there, you would think Eric is misogynist. You think Eric might be racist. Eric is none of the above. But I think those stereotypes are hilarious. For no, I don't, and I don't know why. Um, but I don't believe in them. Um, I have the utmost respect for women and my wife in particular because of everything that they have to go through and do. Um, you know, thank God I don't have to be pregnant because it looks miserable sometimes. Uh, but uh, again, status of women, it's unfortunate that it took so long for the women to get where they are but it's also unfortunate that they have to have a Bible that comes out where Jesus was a female when he wasn't. And that's where I would oppose the feminazi agenda. And there are other things, but anybody else have a comment about that? Should. I know it wasn't, isn't always that way. I know the company I work for that I can't say on tape anymore because I don't want to be fired. Okay. I am going to close in prayer and we can discuss the other ethical dilemmas next week. And you can take it as homework if you'd like to get verses to support the point of view you'd like to be on the site on. Put your hand down, please, Mariah. Lord, I do thank you for this time uh, that we had to discuss moral and ethical dilemmas, and I do pray that it was fruitful. And Lord, uh, may your word always be the guiding principle in decisions that we make, no matter what the decision is. And even if it's not directly spoken of in your word, Lord, your spirit guides us in the direction we need to go. And may we always be submissive to it. We thank you again for this time, and I thank you for the fellowship of these saints. In Jesus' name. Amen.